0: Does your teen ever lose their shit? Do you ever lose your shit when they're losing their respective shit so that you're losing your collective shit? Yeah, well, you don't think you're alone, do you? Um, no, we've all been there. It's simply part of parenting an adolescent. But if you understand more about your teen's emotions, your own emotions, and the dynamics of that intersection you can much more easily avoid huge blow-ups altogether. Stay with me, I'll explain. This is Speaking of Teens, the podcast that helps parents who are struggling to find peace and connection with their teens. My name is Ann Coleman. I'm an attorney turned parent educator and a mom who's been there. And I'm on a mission to help you build a stronger relationship and decrease the conflict with your kid so you can help them grow into the young adult they're meant to be. So far in this series on connection, episodes 104, 106, and 108, I hope I've properly explained that unless you have a strong emotional connection with your teen, you are not going to parent them the way you need to, the way that leads to an emotionally healthy young adult. That connection is the tether that binds you to one another throughout this long haul of adolescence. It's what keeps your family and your family's values in the back of their mind so that even when they're pulled in another direction, they don't get pulled so far that they can't find you again. And they get pulled. It's their job to feel that pull and respond to it. You just don't want that tether to break. Your connection is your only influence in their life at this age. You literally cannot make them do anything they don't want to do. Connection is the only way in. Not your lectures, your consequences, your constant reminders to be good or be careful. It's that deep knowing that you will always have their back. That you understand them to their core. That you would climb mountains in your bare feet in ice and snow to be there for them. That you would never, no matter what, abandon them. That is what will allow them to share their soul with you. To let you into their world just enough so you can guide them through. Teach them how to be an adult show them how to be the person they're meant to be. We've talked about some of the mechanics of connection, how to really focus on those positive interactions over the negative, how to really get in there and show an interest in what they're interested in, how to support their autonomy by guiding rather than bossing or managing them. And today I want to talk to you about the emotional part of this emotional connection with your teen. In case you haven't noticed, your teen can get a little irrationally emotional sometimes. Well, you can go back to episode 62 or episode 3 to understand more clearly why that is. In short, it's simply how their brain is wired. They cannot help it. The emotional part of their brain, the amygdala, is super sensitive. It sends them into these quick spirals of emotion, sometimes for no reason at all. And it makes them moody, easily angered, easy to get nervous, and stress, lack of sleep, hunger, almost anything can make it even worse. I'll link to a few episodes in the show notes for you to understand that whole thing better. Then to make matters worse, the part of the brain that's supposed to help them chill out and use self-control and manage those emotions, the prefrontal cortex, is really, really weak at this age. So this is why they're so irrational and emotional. And knowing that why should be huge for you. And it should make an enormous difference in how you think about their emotional outbursts or their moods. You know, they cannot help it. They can't just turn off their amygdala or strengthen their prefrontal cortex at will. That's simply not how their brain works. So, when you're sitting there thinking they know better than to behave like this, or I can't believe they're acting like this, they can do better. Well, A, you're just wrong, and B, you're going to have to shift that mindset. When they're emotionally dysregulated, their emotions have them by the throat. The emotions are in control. The thinking part of their brain, the prefrontal cortex, is being held hostage. It's weak, it cannot help them, period. It's not a matter of them trying harder, knowing better or wanting to act a different way. It is simply beyond their control in that moment. They can't help it. Okay. (laughs) You with me so far? Not their fault, not under their control. They can't help it. Now, here's where you can help them though. That prefrontal cortex can be helped to become a little stronger. That rational and thinking part of the brain, the part that's supposed to help them with executive functions like making good decisions, using self control, calming them down during a tirade, the reason it's so weak right now is because it's literally busy being programmed. It's not fully online yet, not fully programmed yet. The frontal lobe of the brain, where the prefrontal cortex is located, Sprouted all these billions of additional synaptic connections between brain cells right before puberty. Those synapses are how electrical and chemical messages are passed between the brain cells, and they join up to other brain cells in different areas of the brain to make these pathways of communication. But the brain doesn't need all of those extra synapses that were sprouted right before puberty, so All during adolescence, the brain is deciding which ones are needed and therefore gets strengthened to make communication between parts of the brain stronger and which ones need to go. And those synaptic connections work a bit like a muscle. If you don't use a muscle at all, what happens? It atrophies. They become useless after a while. That's what happens to those synaptic connections that aren't used. Unless the brain is using that connection for something, they fall away. They get pruned. But if you use a muscle daily, you make it stronger. Lift weights with it, and it gets easier to lift a certain amount of weight. Or use them for running, and over time you can run faster. It's the same with these synaptic connections in the brain. The synapses the brain is using over and over are getting stronger and faster at passing messages between the brain cells and between different areas of the brain. The more your teen studies math, the stronger the synaptic connections become for doing those equations, which means it gets easier and easier the more they do it. Same for a sport or for vaping or drinking. Synapses make no distinction between the type of Of activity the brain is engaged in. This is why during adolescence we want them doing as many positive things as possible and we want them to put off the negative as long as we can because while the brain is so malleable with all of this pruning and strengthening of the synapses it's a lot easier to learn something anything even the negative stuff. But we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about learning how to manage emotions. And during adolescence, the synaptic connections, these neuronal pathways between the prefrontal cortex, the rational thinking, self-control part of the brain, and the amygdala, the emotional part, that connection has not yet been strengthened enough. It's still very weak. But we just said that the more certain synaptic connections are used the stronger they get, just like a muscle. So your job is to help them use this connection between their prefrontal cortex and their amygdala. So how do you do that? By emotion coaching. And I'm not going to go all through emotion coaching here again. I'll link to those episodes in the show notes. But in general, when they're emotionally dysregulated, you're going to help their amygdala calm down by nudging that prefrontal cortex to pay attention and start training it to come online and help them. In short, you do that by A, remaining calm yourself, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, recognizing that they're dysregulated, listening to them, not interrupting, getting curious to figure out what it is they're feeling and maybe even why, acknowledging their emotions and possibly even giving them a hug or putting a hand on their back, depending on the situation, be sure and always read the room there. And then you're going to promote problem solving, helping them solve the problem themselves, whatever it is. So basically it would look something like this. Your 14 year old walks into the room screaming and crying and they hate their life and just want to hurry up and turn 18 so they can leave home forever You're at your laptop doing some work, but you close the laptop, you stay seated and look at them with your full attention, count to 25 and say a little mantra like in your head when they're at their worst is when they need me the most, or this is just emotional noise. They're dysregulated and they need my help. Whatever works for you. Have something that you repeat to yourself so that you don't jump in there with them. right, let's say they keep ranting. During a breath, you say, I'm listening. Tell me what's going on. Hey there, real quick. I want you to know about something that if you're anything like me, an anxious ADHD overthinker, you may really need. It's my free guide, Emotional Awareness Strategies. Being emotionally aware is the key to managing your emotions with your kids or anyone else. Inside, I talked to you about the common thinking traps, being able to differentiate between your emotions and the importance of mindfulness. If you're a yeller, lecturer, crier or punisher, you need this guide. The link is at the very bottom of the episode description where you're listening. Back to the show. life is what's going on. It sucks. I hate this town. I hate my school. You and dad don't ever support me. You don't ever let me do what I want. You don't ever give me money. You think I'm a baby. You think everybody else is better than me and blah, 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 blah. And you shitty parents, whatever it is. But you've said your little mantra to yourself and you've counted to 25 and you've said, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to scream back. I'm going to be calm. So instead of letting your emotions take over, you say something like, Sounds like something's really infuriated you. Want to tell me about it? Now they may be infuriated or they may be really crestfallen and just acting infuriated. You don't know yet, but you're going to find out. And you can also repeat back to them what they've said if what they're saying actually makes sense to you. Like, oh, okay read, snapchatted to the whole group. I can see why you're embarrassed. Do you want to tell me more about that? The important thing here is that you're not trying to shut them down. You're not correcting them, telling them not to scream and yell and defending yourself. You're not giving them advice. You're not telling them that everything's going to be fine and to calm down or yelling at them or telling them to go to their room. You're listening You've let them know that you're there, that you want to help, and that you're trying to understand. You're helping their prefrontal cortex to have a minute to catch up to what's happening to them. So it can shoot a little calming juice to the amygdala. If you put a hand on their shoulder or on their back, you're adding more calming juice, a little oxytocin to counteract that cortisol the amygdala has flooded them with. And when you do this, when you listen, give them the opportunity to say more or rant a little more when they know you're not going to yell back or try to shut them up. But instead, you're there to support them and help them get through this scary, out of control feeling because it is scary to them and it feels very out of control and they don't like it. So when they begin to realize this, that you're there for them, guess what? They start to calm down. The prefrontal cortex is getting a little help at connecting to the emotional part of the brain. It's saying, hey, it's going to be okay. We've got you. They realize that you see them through this emotional stew. I mean, wow, that's big. You know they're still in there. That sweet kid that needs your help and doesn't really mean the hurtful stuff they've said. They feel like you've heard what they've said. You've paid attention because you've told them what you think they may be feeling. Wow. Everyone wants to be seen and heard. You've given them a loving touch, kept listening, maybe ask a few questions to make sure that you understand, to make sure they've thought about everything that they could They calm down even more. Tell you what they think may have happened with their friend and even decide on their own what they should do about it. Because you listened, you supported them, they calmed down. They feel closer to you than they thought they even could. Later, they'll apologize for talking to you that way. They will. Don't ask for it. Let them do it. You've just made the first steps towards helping their prefrontal cortex strengthen its connection to the amygdala. As you do this again and again, it will get stronger and stronger. And you know what you're going to see? Shorter rants, quieter tirades, and they'll begin to work out how to calm themselves. Eventually, the rants become less frequent. They say less hurtful things. They catch themselves before they have a fit. Now, this does not happen overnight. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a while probably for your teen to even realize what you're doing and to understand that things are different. So this could take weeks. It might take a couple of months. It may happen almost immediately, but it just depends on your kid. The prefrontal cortex is getting stronger and stronger, and every year they get closer to 25 or so, this will get better. And for most kids, they get a lot better at around 18 or 19, depending on their personality and their temperament and whether they have ADHD or other mental health disorders. Those things just kind of keep you behind a little bit, but it does get better. So listen, go listen to those other episodes on emotion coaching and practice this. Changes, again, like I said, don't happen overnight. You're probably going to stumble around a little bit. Your kid's going to wonder, you know, what the heck you're doing, but it will work. Stick with it. I promise you it will work. All right. Now, another part of this, all this emotional stuff is being more aware of their emotions in general. Being able to tell when they're in a bad mood because of a certain issue, or to be able to tell when a meltdown is coming. Knowing when they're hungry, that they're more likely to explode when you say anything to them, or knowing that in the morning before school is not the time to make a joke, or that at least for an hour after they get home from school, they just want to be left alone. And it's not only the knowing, but the honoring of that. I had a terrible habit of teasing my son or making a joke when I absolutely knew it would not go over well. It's like I had some weird compulsion or like I was in denial, maybe. And I remember there were times where I would push him about something, knowing full well that it would lead to a blow up. And I can literally remember thinking to myself, well, he should be able to handle this without pitching a fit. So by God, I'm going to push I was being completely blinded by what I thought his behavior should be. Like I hadn't raised this intensely sensitive, emotional, high-strung child. Like I thought he was going to somehow just turn into someone else. So I guess I'm saying, don't be stupid like I was. You know your kids' emotions, their temperament, their way of moving through this world. You've raised them for 10, 13, 17 years. Go with the obvious here. Adolescence intensifies who they are, their personality, their temperament, their emotional selves. They don't become someone else because they're older. I saw that in my child. Once a fit pitcher, always a fit pitcher. But the difference is in the way that we respond to them. In the past, those fits of his, I either ignored them, asked him to take them somewhere else until he was finished, or later on, I would just ask him to calm down, constantly saying, calm down. All improper responses. You don't ignore your child's emotions, dismiss them, or try to shut them down. And you don't poke, prod, and provoke either. You honor those emotions for what they are. A sign. A sign that they need your help to regulate themselves, to stretch that muscle Work that prefrontal cortex and strengthen that connection so it will be easier and easier for them as they practice. They may need your help to work through a problem with a friend or at school or just some inner turmoil they're dealing with. They don't need you to solve it, but to simply ask them enough questions that they'll eventually see the answer for themselves. Okay. So now the other part of the equation, your emotions. If you aren't aware of and can't regulate your own emotions, you certainly can't help them and you'll just make everything worse. Because I know this, I did that and then I learned. So where do you start? You start with empathy. You must be able to empathize with what they're going through, given the brain that they have right now. And if you still have it in your head that they could act differently if they wanted to bad enough, you've got some work to do there first. If you don't believe me, do some independent research on the adolescent brain and how it works. There are a handful of great books out there. Dan Siegel has one, Sarah Jane Blakemore, Francis Jensen, I'll link to all these books in the show notes. But empathy is also placing yourself in their shoes at their age with only what they know about the world so far. And I'll use this quote over and over again. I love it to explain this. It's an old Yiddish saying To a worm in horseradish, the whole world is horseradish. Malcolm Gladwell used this quote in a TED talk to explain worldview and how people can sometimes not see past their own to realize that the world is any way but how they see and experience it. But the thing is, everyone experiences the world differently. The world is what it is, and it's the same objectively for everyone. But our subjective experience is vastly different depending on a million different factors. Our age, our culture, where we are in the world. We all live in our own little dollop of horseradish. And a teen's horseradish is school, home, friends, social media, gaming, sports. Most don't have a real job. They don't pay bills. They aren't married. They've never lived alone. The only world they know is is the one they've experienced so far up until the age they are right now. So that's the lens through which you need to look when you're trying to connect with your teenager. Try to see things as they might see them. Your perspective is not the only perspective. They have one too, and it deserves to be respected. Once you can empathize, it becomes a lot easier to manage your own emotions. Hopefully, if you can empathize, you can be less angry about some of the behaviors that you previously thought they could control. Or putting yourself in their shoes, maybe you can see why it's so important for them to have this particular haircut or have that silly 40-ounce cup or to feel like everyone might hate you. So when you're in that moment, when they've done something, said something, and you feel the emotions bubbling up in you, remember, here's an opportunity for you to help them build their emotional regulation and your connection. Tell yourself, this is just emotional noise. It's like when they were two and they were screaming at the top of their lungs and kicking their feet against the back of your seat in the car. It's dysregulation. Count, breathe, use your mantra, whatever you come up with. It could even be, I'm calm, I'm calm, I'm calm. Also remember, there's usually no big emergency going on. There's no reason to feel like you have to put out a fire, unless of course a sibling is being pummeled or something like that. So at this moment, you have a choice. And it's all your choice because no one else can make you feel a certain way. No one makes you angry. No one makes you feel anything. Your perception of the situation is how you feel an emotion. Your interpretation of what someone says or of what you saw or you smelled or whatever. So you can change that perception Through your use of empathy in this case, that should help. If you get mad in this moment, one reason may be that you haven't developed that new mindset yet, that their brain is doing this, that it's dysregulation, it's emotional noise, or maybe you're not yet able to see their world through their horseradish. And if you let your emotions take over, you've just lost a huge opportunity for connection. I know connection is not top of mind when they're ranting and raving, but you can train yourself to think this way. Their emotional dysregulation equals an opportunity for connection. And it can take a lot of practice. Don't get me wrong. I could feel the blood rising to my eyeballs when my son would start stomping around in his bedroom because I knew a blow up was on its way. I was gearing up in my mind for a flood of my own emotions. Stomping and banging are still a big emotional trigger for me. I get anxious when I think someone's mad. Anyone. But you know what? That didn't start with my son. That started in childhood. My dad was easily angered, frustrated. It seemed like he was always mumbling angrily under his breath about something, fussing or yelling about something. I can remember these times as a kid. So you have memories. Maybe you don't think about them. But if you look closely at the situations or issues that really upset you, angers you, really makes you want to scream... It's usually related to past experiences, maybe just the last week, but it also could be years ago. It's the brain's hippocampus that allows us to remember things that have happened to us in our lives. These are conscious memories. And if those conscious memories are very emotional for us, the amygdala steps in and helps us remember them even better. For example, do you remember where you were when the first plane hit the World Trade Center? But we also have what's known as unconscious memories, which really doesn't make a lot of sense because we don't actually remember them. But guess what part of the brain does remember? Our amygdala. Amygdala stored memories are totally under our radar. We have no conscious memory of them, but they're there. And the amygdala knows so when the same or somewhat similar situation comes up now, the amygdala will automatically react. That same old fight, flight, or freeze response will get angry or afraid or just not be able to do anything at all, not be able to think. But we just don't really know why it's happening to us in that moment. These are learned responses encoded in our amygdala to be called upon later when triggered by some stimulus that prompts us to respond automatically, without thought. The type of learned response we're talking about is learning by association. Once you learn to respond to a stimulus through its association with something else, this response is just as automatic as a response that has been hardwired in our brain from birth like making a face when we taste something sour or blinking when somebody throws something in your face. So learning through association is like Pavlov's dogs. He discovered that dogs learned to associate the lab assistants, walking down the hall to bring their food and would start salivating. So he tried a more formal experiment. He would turn on a metronome when serving their food and over time They began salivating at the sound of the metronome. No food around. Salivation was a learned automatic response. The same thing can happen when we experience something really negative. We can associate that negative thing with some sort of neutral, otherwise meaningless thing that there was there when this negative thing happened over and over to us. You see this play out in movies and series all the time. An example that immediately comes to mind is the first season of The Center with Bill Pullman as Detective Harry Ambrose. Jessica Biel played in that season. And in the first five minutes, she stabs a guy to death on the beach in front of her husband and kids after she hears a song being played through a speaker sitting next to this guy. As we learn much later, it's that song that played over and over as she was held captive somewhere and drugged to erase her memory by that guy. This is a classic movie trope. Someone smells something or sees something or hears something, and they have a sudden impulse or emotion that for them is totally unexplained, but the audience gets to see those flashbacks. So this can actually happen. Probably a lot less dramatically, but it can. There was a horrible experiment that I read about when I did all my brain research. It happened back in the 1920s, and it would never be allowed to happen today. But they took this nine-month-old baby and let it play with a cute little white mouse. Baby's not afraid of the mouse. It had no reason to fear the mouse. It didn't even know what a mouse was. But these asshole scientists were out to make him fear white mice. So they let him play with little mouse for a little while, and then they took it away. Then they brought it back out, but at the same time, they made this huge loud noise right behind the baby's head as they gave it to him. They did this over and over as the baby sat there crying. I mean, can you even imagine that? So no surprise, after a few times of pairing that loud noise with bringing the mouse out, All they had to do was show the baby the mouse without the noise, and he'd start to cry. If this little baby hadn't died at age six, not related to the experiment, we could assume that he would likely have a crippling fear of white mice or anything probably resembling one, and he'd have no idea why. So knowing this about how our brain works knowing how we can associate things and have memories that we don't actually remember, do you see how easy it is for emotions to be triggered and how hard it might be to untangle the mess of how that came to be? I just wanted to explain a little bit of that so you could really try to pick apart why it is that you're so reactive to atone your kid uses with you, or how irritable they are in the morning, or how they always take their dirty socks off and leave them in the family room. Why do certain things they do or say make you want to jump out of your skin? If you can't figure it out, ask a family member. Someone else may hold the clues. The reason it's so important to understand your own emotional triggers is because until you are aware of your emotions, where they come from, and specifically what emotion it is you're experiencing, it's much easier to just say, it's out of my control. I just can't help it. I don't know why I react that way. I just do. I'm sorry. Enough of that. Figure out what's going on. And if you just don't feel you can help the way you react and you cannot be calm with your kids or your spouse, then maybe it's time for a little counseling. Maybe you have an anxiety disorder or have ADHD or maybe you're just under too much stress. If you don't want to go to counseling or you can't afford it, there are excellent self-help books, workbooks, journals, apps, my guides, I'll list some of those in the show notes for you along with other podcast episodes that you can listen to. It's time to get to work. Get your emotions under control so you can connect with your kids, avoid the unnecessary conflict, and be their biggest influencer. You can do that. That's it for Speaking of Teens today, and I believe that may wrap up our series on Connection unless I come up with something else next week. Um, And thank you for being here. I hope you found this helpful in some way. And as always, if you did, just share it with someone else. And a big shout out to one of our parent camp members, Catherine Rousseau, for pointing out that I left an accidental shit in episode 104. I had to go back and edit that out or get my editor husband to go do that. Um, maybe I should start leaving little Easter eggs in every episode as a contest or just to see if you're awake and listening. Thank you, Catherine. And thanks to you for being here and passing the word around about our podcast. As always, until next time, remember, a little change goes a long way.